I love this question because it actually gets at a thing that you and I do all the time. But this is for a different reason, so I love it. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we hear from our listeners asking about table manners when dining alone, how to prepare for comments about weight gain, how to handle others trying to predict what you're going to say, a few questions from an Australian teaching in Japan, and what constitutes a failure in introductions. All that. And in our Postscript segment, we open up the Awesome Etiquette mailbag. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. I've been playing so much golf. That doesn't really sound good. But (laughs) first of all, I'm excited because this week I am playing last night, today, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I don't know whether to be happy for you or kind of insane with jealousy. Or creeped out. (laughs) Um, I'm also really excited because for the first time this year since my parents came back from Florida, I got to play golf with my dad on Sunday. It was awesome. He had his golf book come out, um, The Unwritten Rules of of golf, and I love that. It's a great book. Definitely has some fun tales, got a lot of fabulous tips, and I know that it will help a lot of golfers out because, you know, it's one thing to learn the actual rules of the game, you know, where you can drop, when you've crossed over into a hazard, all that kind of stuff, scoring. All of that are, are great, solid things to learn. But when you're out there for anywhere between two and sometimes five, depending on how slow the course is, hours with someone, there's a lot of etiquette that starts to happen, a lot of behavioral stuff. Where are you standing? Where's your shadow? Did you step on someone's line? Are you talking in their backswing? Who do you let go first? All those sorts of things creep in. Do you, this is a big one, offer tips on someone else's game? Do you coach them? Do Mm -hmm. you not? Do you ask if you can coach them? Do you not? Do you join when somebody asks you if you want to play with them and, and, you know, or do you play through when someone invites you to? There's so much when you spend four hours with a bunch of other people on a golf course. And I I know we've talked about it before. I I would love to get your father onto the show to to talk more about some of that because I know that book was a passion project for him. It was. Listening to the two of you in the office is a little ridiculous. And I I, I know there are games coming. It's a beautiful day out. Now it's to the point where when it's a rainy day, I turn to Peter and I'm like, ah, it makes it easier to be here, I suppose. Very true. Um, But no, I don't like them, but it's easier to be at work. (laughs) To watch the two of you um, engage over a share passion. Oh, and it truly is a passion. Well, one of the things that I had to get used to when I finally joined a golf club was that um, if you don't block off the the tee sheet so that other people can't join your group, you have to expect that if you're a single going out, if you're a twosome going out, that you might have one or two people join. And sure enough, I invited my dad to play golf on Father's Day. And it was just the two of us. I had a a tea slot that, you know, no one else had signed up with me. And I said, oh, Dad, would you like to come? I'd love to have you. It'd be really fun. His game had gotten rained out that morning. So Mm. it was perfect. And he said, I'd love to. So that was like only an hour and a half before our tea time. 
And by the time we showed up, my friend Fainice and my friend um, Jeff both had joined us. And it was this kind of, it was, you know. Unusual foursome. Yeah, like my best golfing girlfriend. It was her husband. And then a woman who is just well-known. She's the dean of education at UVM. She's a great golfer. She, I, I was a little intimidated to play with her at first. She nice. couldn't have been nicer, more easy to get. I'd had dinner with her a number of times, but I'd never played golf with her before. And it's intimidating to play golf with people you've never played with. You and, don't know what it's going to be like. And she was able to put you at ease? Oh, she completely put me at ease. Nice. And that was the best part. Now, the thing I was worried about is that my dear dad loves me and loves golf so much. And he's so excited that I'm playing that he wants my game to be as amazing as possible. And that tends to lead to a lot of suggestions. Coaching. A lot of coaching. <laughs> that definitely, I I just have a hard time with it. It was, I, I have a very memorable round with him and his boys one day. And they were just, by the time, I hadn't even stepped up to the tee box. And they had all given me so much advice. I turned to them and said, you know, I could drown in the fountain of your knowledge. Zip it. They all said, gosh, we're really sorry. And it was great. We, we wound up having a great round together. But it can be one of those things where sometimes you just need to play. And it was great because... I was a little worried that being in front of two other people that my dad might coach and that that would put a lot of pressure on me in front of people I don't know and that I would feel awkward being told so many things to do. And it was great. He didn't coach at all. He, in fact, a number of times during the round said, you know, wow, you are playing really great. And I I wasn't. I didn't actually have great scores, but I had great shots. Nice. And then he did something I noticed. We were on the 10th green. And... He asked Jeff if Jeff would accept him giving Jeff a tip. And the tip was just in how to repair a ball mark on the green. We actually have a video on our YouTube say, channel about it. And it's, a, about. it's yeah. a great little video, too. So if you go to Emily Post Productions on YouTube, check out our golf videos. They're really fun. I think there's like three of them up. But what I loved was the etiquette about it. My dad asked Jeff if he wouldn't mind showing him something. And it was something that's actually going to protect the greens, make the ball marks heal faster and better without killing the grass. You can see on a green all the little yellow circles. That's where someone has just broken the roots of the grass in order to repair the divot as opposed to you kind of like – dig in and then push forward into the center of the ball mark. And that actually will allow it to heal and repair itself without killing the grass. But I love the fact that he was, you know, he's at my course. This isn't his home Uh course. This is my home course. And these are my people. And he was very gentle in doing that. And Father's Day. It was a good, he was (laughs) a good dad and it was a fun, fun time together. And it made me really proud to have a dad that loves golf that much and that I can enjoy this thing that's very social, that there is a lot of etiquette around. I mean, he wrote the book on it, so the man's got it down pat. But it was really great to experience it on Sunday. That is so nice. Um, we have some exciting news. You want to tell them? We have a little bit of show business. This is kind of like a big deal. <laughs> For the awesome etiquette community, we sure hope so. Um, we are so happy the folks at American Public Media have helped us put together a phone number for this show. And what's so exciting about having a phone number, I'm going to give it to you once right now. It's 802 802- 866-0860. And I'll give it to you again after I finish telling you, but this is a place you can call and record your question for awesome etiquette. I love it. We really invite anyone who would like to submit a question to the show, who would like to do it um, by leaving a message, a voice message. They can use our new number. It's the awesome etiquette 
hotline. It's 802-866-0860. We'll give it to you again at the end of the show. But um, I think what's exciting about it is that for so long you've heard us interpret your tone, interpret your words when we read them aloud. And we're still going to do that for sure because Dan and I love getting to actually read your questions. But this is going to allow you to put the emphasis, you to give the explanation. Now, unfortunately, it's not a terribly long amount of time you have to leave the message. So definitely get everything in quickly. and. Remember, you can also let us know that you'd like it to be anonymous. We will ask for your name and contact info just in case we want to get back in touch with you. But you can always say, if you choose to read this on the air or if you choose to play this on the air, please keep my name anonymous. I couldn't say it any better. That is the the, the best invitation I could possibly give. I'm to, excited to, to use hear the our listeners' voices. Me too, and and thank you for reminding me the the care that people take when they submit their questions. They how well written um, they Most are, of often them are. are. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> um, it always makes Izzy and me feel really good. So keep those questions coming. This is just a new option, a new way to bring your voice to the show. Also, well, with that, should we get on to some questions? I think we should. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Let's get started. I love this question because it's about um, when no one's watching, how polite do you have to be? And I love it even more because it comes from one of our younger listeners who is 13 years old. Dear Daniel and Lizzie Post, I have listened to your podcast for a while now, like almost the whole time you've been doing them. I also read the etiquette book by Peggy Post. Bravo. (laughs) I know, right? The librarians looked at me weird when they saw a 13-year-old walking up to the desk with it. It was a good book. Who is Peggy Post in the family? Okay, now my question. What is the level of dining etiquette for one person eating alone? Two people? Three people? I'm third of six children, so I don't even fit in those categories. So does family have a different level, or should we always be perfect in etiquette even when no one is looking? Thank you, Levi. P.S. My favorite moments on the podcast are when you geek out (laughs) about a really intricate part of etiquette. It's obvious you really care about the subject. Oh, Levi, thank you so much for your question. It's a good question. Does it matter when no one's watching? It's a great question. (laughs) Levi, I'd like to share a couple of things with you, but I want to start off because you asked a question that that has come up a couple of times, and that's who is Peggy Post in the family? And Peggy is... uh, an avid listener to this podcast. Yes, she, she is. A big shout out to our aunt Peggy, Lizzie and my aunt. And she doesn't work here in the Vermont office with us. Oftentimes she's working from her home office, which is in Florida. So we work remotely with Peggy, but we do quite a bit with her. We we see her on a video call every week for our weekly staff yes, meeting. We do. And it's it's quite remarkable the way FaceTime technology brings her right into our office every Monday morning for an hour family catch up and company meeting. And Peggy's an extremely integral part of our business because she carried the business on when our grandmother, Mud, Elizabeth Post, wanted to retire. And she really carried it through the 90s up until Peter Post joined her, my father, Dan's uncle. And she has taken care of our good house column for years. Um, When we had a New York Times column, she was heading up that. She does tons of speeches 
for women's groups, uh, children's groups, business. I mean, she really does it all. And she carried on the name for a long time on her own and has really welcomed into the fold as my father and Dan's mother joined her generation, which was a first time for our entire company. And then welcoming the, the three of us, my sister and Dan and myself into the company when it was time for us to step in. She's um, a wealth of knowledge. She's incredibly encouraging and proud of the family. And I think it's it's wonderful that of all the books that you were curious, Levi, about Peggy and who she was and how she fit in. She's definitely one of our our most important pieces. And the final thing that I would offer about Peggy is she is one of the warmest and most gracious people you will ever have the good fortune of meeting. Absolutely. She, she has been a, a remarkable standard bearer for the Emily Post tradition. So now what about Levi's etiquette question? What so, do you think? <laughs> Levi's etiquette question is a little bit philosophical. And whatever your faith tradition or if you don't subscribe to a faith tradition, it's a fun question to wrestle with. Um, Does it matter when no one's watching? But I'm, I'm going to get a little bit more practical. Um, first of all, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that my Uncle Peter loves to give when he's talking about dining etiquette. Mm-hmm. And he uses grossness as his rule, that so much of the etiquette that we observe at the table is designed to keep us from grossing each other out. So what is my standard for how much etiquette to apply? If there's one other person, if there's two other people, obviously you have a range of options about how formally you want to approach a dining experience. But I think a general rule is you never want to gross out the people that you're with. So as long as you're eating with one other person... You better have the etiquette there. (laughs) Exactly. As soon as your behavior starts to become offensive, you've gone too far. But what about when it's just just you? you? I'm single. I live alone. I'm eating on my own a lot. Like. I got to say, I'm not sure our listeners would be overly impressed with my (laughs) eating dinner in bed, watching whatever TV show is on that night. (laughs) One of the things that I was thinking about is posture sometimes comes and goes for me. When I'm sitting at a table with other people, I want to give them my attention. I'm oftentimes sitting up. Straighter. And I notice sometimes when I'm tired and when I'm eating by myself or I'm feeling less formal, sometimes posture is one of the first things that starts to slip for me. But that maybe is just a little bit of laziness. That's not so much a rule. Um, One of the other things that I've noticed is that my basic manners don't change much. The table manners that you would employ at the table when you're eating with other people are designed uh, around practicality. The tools that you use are utensils, and the ways that you use them when you're with other people are, are really often the easiest ways to use them. So usually when I'm eating by myself, I'm using a knife and a fork in a very similar way that I would use them when I'm with other people. One key difference that I've talked about at times is cutting with the side of my fork. Oftentimes when I'm eating by myself, I'm more likely to cut food with the side of my fork, whereas oftentimes when I'm eating with other people, if I've got a knife Use there, a knife. I'm going to take the time to cut the food like that. That's one of those little dispensations that I, I think allow myself or just notice that sometimes it's when I'm difference. eating alone is a real difference in terms of how I'm using those utensils. But for the vast majority of the time, well into the high 90 percent, I would say that most of my manners are pretty similar when I'm eating alone to when I'm eating with other people. And the, the final thought is you want to be comfortable with yourself. <laughs> uh, ultimately, you want to be as comfortable in your own skin as you are when you're with other people. And adopting habits and practices that are comfortable for you, that you feel comfortable being the way that you are, whether you're by yourself or with other people, are important habits to start to establish so that you're not trying to adopt certain behaviors that don't feel right or comfortable when you're with other people. So That would be my advice, too, is that when you're alone, sure, you might slack off a little bit, but every now and again, you know, 
set that table. You know, don't eat off the living room couch or the coffee table. Instead, really have a nice meal with yourself, and that that's perfectly okay. And it's a great time to also practice.、Um, we always say that one of our best suggestions is to put a mirror in front of you while you eat every now and again, just to see what you look like and what another diner who dines with you might experience when they're eating with you. But Levi, I'm so encouraged by the fact that you're a fan of etiquette, and I just want to point out that a lot of people talk about our younger generation. And how they don't care, and I just I think that this is absolute proof, along with Simone at nine years old who loves etiquette, and a lot of the kids that we've met,、um, and the young adults that we've met through our lives who really care. I mean, I just spent a ton of time with a bunch of twenty-year-old women who all care very much about etiquette. So I'm really hoping that through you and through your peers, we can change that perception that people have. I think it's a pretty unfair one. Well, we hope that helps just a little bit, and thanks for your interest. And we hope you continue to be an ambassador for good etiquette in the world. Thank you so much. Our next question begins: Hello, Dan and Lizzie. Thanks so much for your podcast. I look forward to it every week. Here is my question: I will be going to a family reunion in two weeks in my hometown. I haven't been there in several years, and unfortunately, I have gained about fifty pounds since my last visit. Long story for another day. Anyway, people in my hometown are not shy at all about mentioning weight gain. I am already anxious and ashamed of my new look, so if anyone mentions it, and I could bet money they will, it will make me feel so much worse. Do you have any good tips about how to handle fat shamers? Thanks so much. First of all, I just want to say that I want to do my best when I answer this question in encouraging you not to feel shame for having put on weight. It happens to everybody. I've I I fluctuate a good twenty pounds. Dan hears about it all the time in the office when I'm running and trying to eat well, and when I you know don't do so well at that, and how it makes me feel. And personally, that going back and forth a lot among those twenty pounds. Is a difficult thing for me mentally, and it's really hard. And you don't feel like yourself in your own skin, but it happens, and it happens to a lot of people at a lot of various points in their life. And I think it's really great that you're preparing yourself mentally, but I want to encourage you to rather than prepare yourself for feeling awful about it, just prepare yourself for the comments and. I want you to be able to say something when someone mentions it, like, "Oh, wow, you really put on quite a bit." Sometimes they try to attribute it to a pregnancy. Sometimes they try to attribute it to stress. They'll try to find some reasoning for it, and I think you can just say something like, "Thanks for noticing," or. Yes, I have. I like yes, I have because thanks for noticing can sometimes come off a little jerky,、sure. and so yes, I have, and then change the subject. So if Dan said to me, "Wow, Liz, you really look like you've you've put on a few," or "Wow, your your physique has changed so much," which Dan would never say, but I could just say, "Yes, I have," but I really want to hear about your wedding. And it's just that way to acknowledge it and then change the subject. It's a great subtle indicator to people that yeah, you understand, but you're not going to discuss it with them because it's none of their business. And I will suggest that if someone really presses you, you can say, "I have put on weight, but that's really a private matter for me to deal with. So I'd love to hear about your life and what's been going on with you." And that's the the easy. 
way of being really concrete. This isn't a subject we're going to talk about. Um, I think that it is something a lot of people who've had any kind of a change in their physique fear. And I just encourage you to get the fear out of the way, practice saying those lines that I just gave you a few times, and have confidence that you walk in. You know that you've gained weight. You know why you've gained weight. You know how you're going to deal with this weight. And when you're ready to, you will. And I just I wish you all the luck in, in getting back to your former physique or ac- accepting and really loving your body as it is now. I love that advice. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, we hope that you enjoy a, a family reunion. Yeah, a t- just a visit home. should be a nice visit. It should be a nice visit. And if anybody does make a really negative comment, just know that you have a lot of supporters out there. Know Even if it's the two the of us that are out there thinking of you. And that they're definitely in the wrong. People shouldn't be commenting about your weight. And you're not going to stoop to their level. You're going to be prepared for that. You're going to be prepared to help them move on from the conversation. Absolutely. Best of luck to you when you return home. Our next question we've titled Reading Minds. Dear Lizzie and Dan, several years ago, my mom had a stroke, which thankfully only mildly affected her ability to remember the odd word in a conversation. It's usually very hard to notice, but when she's tired, she sometimes needs a few moments to get a word or two out. My dad and I are used to this and just wait patiently for the words to come. It usually takes just a second or two. However, friends and extended family are oftentimes unaccustomed to this method and tend to try to speak for her. This can really be aggravating because my mom is certainly capable of speaking for herself, and more times than not, people guess incorrectly. What's a polite way to ask loved ones to hold their tongues? Best regards, Lynette. Oh, Lynette. You've hit on one that Dan and I do all the time. You could not have reached a more sympathetic audience for this question. And um, I, in particular, want to offer a mea culpa. Lizzie is very generous in saying that this is something that we both do. We do both do it. And we do, but I think I am the far and away the worst offender. And it's a habit I think has gotten worse in you since you've been hanging out with me. My favorite is that you usually guess wrong. (laughs) And I'm like, no, that's not what I was going to say. And, and, and at this stage, it's gotten to the point where Lizzie will just stop and give me a look, I just and I know I'm doing it. We do it in our family quite a lot, and it's something Dan and I have become very aware of. Actually, our former coworker Elizabeth Howell really made me aware of it. Yeah, and and, and you've helped make me aware of it, and I, I've tried to be better about it. My first note on this question is patience is a virtue. It <laughs> so is, and it's really important not to steal someone else's voice. It's a a, a good habit not to. To get in the habit of, and particularly when it becomes a habit, I think the spirit that I often do it is I want to show how connected I am to the conversation. Absolutely. I want to show that I'm right there with you and I can anticipate the, the next thing that you're going to say, <laughs> but I can't. And it is important to give other people a chance to speak and to be a good listener, an attentive listener. It's one of the most important communication skills that we can all have. And So how do you suggest that Lynette starts spreading the word to family and friends? I think she can this, just tell them. Yeah, exactly. In this particular situation, I would say talk to family members, talk to them in private. Don't do it in front of other people. Don't embarrass them about the habit. Mm -hmm. Mention to them. Say something. uh, Acknowledge that when she gets tired, your mother sometimes takes a little longer to get her word out, but that you would really appreciate, you know, she would really appreciate it if people could show the patience to let her... Find the express word. herself and find the word herself. I just did you hear that? I just did it to you. Let her find the word. Find the word and here. 
gosh, see, it's that easy to do it. It really is. And so, again, it's also not something I think that they should feel really badly about. This is a new situation that everybody's getting used to. So a few cues from close family and friends about how to behave in this Mm -hmm. new situation are entirely appropriate. And it doesn't need to be a big scold. It's just talking to them and and helping get everybody um, on the same page. But I want to expand this whole concept a little broader and say this is a great time for us all to take a moment to just think about the times in our lives when we might be guilty of this ourselves in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Let's not interrupt. Let's give each other a chance to finish. I love it. Our next question comes from Japan. Hello, awesome etiquette. I have a question, which is possibly a little outside of your wheelhouse, but I thought I would see what you thought. I'm an Australian living in Japan as an assistant language teacher. I love the job and the kids. But often I run into a situation where a younger child wants to talk with me, But all they can say in English is hello, which is fine, but, well, they want to talk more, but aren't really able to say much more. This sometimes happens with older students. I am really unsure how to approach this, as right now it just becomes a silly repeat of (laughs) hello, hello, hello between us for a short time, which, while funny, I'm not sure is much better. Also, an etiquette salute to one of my schools. While I make an effort to always speak Japanese and the staff know that I can, at one of my schools, all the staff make a big effort to greet me in English, even staff who aren't at all confident in English. Also, since we are being a bit international here, here is a nice etiquette tip for working in Japan. When you leave work, it's common to say, and I apologize for my terrible pronunciation, Atsukurasama or Atsukurasama Deshita, literally meaning you must be tired, but actually meaning thank you for your hard work in a normal, non-weird way. Otsukurasama, Rowan. Oh, thank you, Rowan. I love this. I love that we're getting such a big international audience, too. It, it kind of makes the show, well, more exciting in some ways. <laughs> um, I think when you run into these conversations of the hello, 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 it's such a great moment for you to actually help them expand their vocabulary. And because you speak Japanese, I would say to them in in Japanese, you know, I'd love to teach you this word. So after we say hello, I would usually ask you, how are you? And then teach them how to say how are you and maybe one or two responses in English. That way you can start moving from hello, hello, hello to hello, how are you? You know, just build it little basic conversation skills at a time with them. And I think they would be so happy and appreciative of it. People love to connect. And this would be such a great way to connect, especially with those really young students who they think it's so cool to know how to say it's like a secret you get in on how to when you speak another language, when you learn how to speak another language. Absolutely. And the heart of communication being making that connection with someone else. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure you're doing this, but I, I love to give the reminder Sometimes the smile and the eye contact that come with those early exchanges are as important as what's said. Absolutely. So keep that up. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you know that as a language teacher. The other thought I had was you can always start with names. You Absolute, can always start my per- name particularly is. if you know how to say my name is. My name is a, a, a gesture to yourself offering your name so that you start to build that introduction just a little bit and start to introduce yourselves to each other. Perfect. Beyond that, first words, um, particularly for little kids, magic words are great. 
Please, Please thank, thank you. you. Greetings, hellos, and goodbyes, which are clearly the, the very first mm. words that are starting to emerge in this situation. Another great one for small kids is body parts. Yeah. In the same way nose, that you start introducing eyes. yourself, you can start to introduce your nose and your eyes and your ears. Absolutely. Um, I'm so jealous. It sounds like a lot of fun. I think so, too. And thank you so much for the etiquette salute to the staff at your school. I think it's wonderful that they all really make an effort to greet you in English, and, and clearly it's something that you appreciate. So it sounds like you're having a wonderful experience over there teaching in Japan, and we wish you the best of luck. I love this question because there was such a simple fix to it, and it didn't happen, and then people get in a tizzy about it. And I like the fact that our our listener seems to understand that. Like, hey, this could have been simple. My son lives in Chicago, and recently I came home to Texas to attend my retirement party. He brought his current girlfriend, who had never met our extended family. The party was at our house, and there were many people there, including my brother and his two adult children, my nephew and my niece. The week after the party, I found out that my brother and his children never met my son's girlfriend. When I asked my niece about it, she said that she did not indeed meet his girlfriend because my son never introduced her to them. She said that it was my son's responsibility to make sure that they met his girlfriend. I'm a little irritated because my relatives were only a few feet away from my son and his girlfriend and didn't bother to speak to them. Am I in the wrong here? Thanks, Nancy. Oh, Nancy. I know. <laughs> it's always difficult this when there's is... a little bit of tension in the family. I don't like this because it's the blame game. It's lazy. I feel like your niece just took the lazy way out of this. She should have said, you know, I should have just gone up and said hi, but I was waiting for your son to introduce her. And I should have just said hello because guess what? She should have just said hello. Sorry. No. I couldn't help it. I like stole your answer, but it's, I just it makes me mad. I, 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 I can silly. appreciate why. It was funny because I was going to go back to our own family in oh. answering this question. Um, a, a question Lizzie and I often get asked is, was it difficult growing up in the post family? <laughs> was it awkward? Were there moments when um, there, you felt pressure? And I often said no, <laughs> that the heart of good etiquette is the ability to make other people feel comfortable. And that was always the standard in our family. It yeah. was the standard that we were raised with. And I don't think you could have found a more welcoming and comfortable environment to grow up in than an environment that's really premised on good etiquette. And my example for that was my grandfather. And I think that sometimes our friends felt a little awkwardness coming with us to the Post family home to meet my grandparents, to meet the woman, Elizabeth Post, who at the time was representing Emily Post. And one thing that they were so remarkable at, our, our, Lizzie and my grandparents, was putting other people at ease within seconds of walking through the door. You felt like you were at home. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was there to greet you, to welcome you, to introduce himself, to be sure that you were well taken care of and were Absolutely. comfortable in his home. And it, far, far from being an awkward or difficult experience, it couldn't have been easier. And that's the standard that I like to apply when I think about what good etiquette is and where it comes from. This is a bit of a day of classics because yours is a question about introductions. We return to the table today. I think it's also appropriate that we're returning to introductions. This is some of the most important and classic etiquette. The basics. A few ideas about introductions that are going to be helpful. As hosts, you want to make guests feel welcome. And in this particular situation, your whole family has someone who's new 
in the fold. There's a, an outsider, a new girlfriend there. And it's really up to everybody to do everything they can to make her feel as comfortable in that situation as possible. Right. And if that's making an introduction, if that's walking up and introducing yourself or introducing someone that you know to this new person, that's a really important role to be playing. And it's, it's a job for everyone in the family, not just the person whose home it is, but really when you identify that there's someone there who's not as familiar with this group, particularly such a close-knit group. Second of all, definitely your son had a role as as really her immediate host at the party. He right. definitely had a job to introduce her. And whether or not he was doing that job, it was up to other family to introduce themselves. Right. But definitely that was something that he could have been keeping in mind that particular day also that might have made it easier for his girlfriend in that particular situation. The final thing I would I would say about introductions is in today's world, anyone can introduce themselves. Exactly. Anybody can walk up to anybody else and say hi and introduce themselves. And I, I, I like to put the onus first on the hosts Absolutely. because really it, it's easier for them in a particular situation. Well, and it is their responsibility as the host. I think you're right in saying that. But it's certainly allowable for anybody to Absolutely. make a self-introduction, particularly in a situation like that where it's mostly close friends and family. So in in some ways, rather than everybody sit around and feel awkward or difficult about introductions not being made, it's really up to anybody in that situation to to pick up the ball and and get the game going. To take control. And that's what had had our had the niece been the one to write into us, my advice to her would have been, you know, it's really a shame that that introduction didn't come from this from your cousin. Um, but if you feel slighted and you want to meet this person, go introduce yourself. Just put it behind you. Don't let that become the reason that you don't say hello, yeah. because that then is rude. Instead, make the effort, just like Dan said, self-introductions. There's nothing wrong with them. And it's a party. At some point, he's probably a little bit just, I hate to say it, but a little bit over the introduction portion of it. To the point where the socializing with family and friends might not be thinking about it. And we don't know how big the party was. We don't know how many people were there. There It might not have been realistic to introduce her to every single person. But to be mad about it afterwards, that's the etiquette breakdown for me. This might be an example of one of the classic etiquette mistakes that people make, which is when they're unsure about how to make an introduction or maybe even they They've just forgotten someone's name or they're not quite sure how they're going to do it. So they just don't do it at all. Yeah. And one of the pieces of advice that we give often at the Institute is don't don't let a small hiccup like not being sure about how to word an introduction or who to start with interrupt the whole process. Because the important thing is that you make introductions, that you introduce people to each other in a way they learn each other's names and can start a conversation when you have to go make your next introduction. Absolutely. Nancy, thank you so much for that question. And we hope that your niece and nephew and your brother all get to meet your son's girlfriend very soon. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Well, this is a fun postscript segment. We call it the mailbag. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is that part of the show where we finally get to tell people what we hear from you because we do. We don't just get questions, we get comments and we get all kinds of suggestions and sometimes we get an update. And yeah, we, sometimes we get an update and it's really fun to get to actually uh, share those with you. 
This reply comes from a listener who wrote in asking about his friend's boyfriend who was very rude. So rude, in fact, that their group of friends didn't know how to handle the boyfriend who stuck around longer than most. There's a small group of six of us who regularly hang out, go on trips, and are otherwise besties. We have a friend in this group who's a bit of a serial dater. More recently, this friend has found a boyfriend who seems to go out of his way to be unpleasant to the group. When directly engaged, he'll ignore questions and conversations, speak ill of a host when he is the guest to a party or barbecue, will pretend to sleep when we're all watching a movie or playing a game in the same room, and has even gone so far as to reroute our plans to a bar across town, only to show up late and leave after 10 minutes without even saying hello. After my birthday, our friend recently sent an email to the group to ask why we were all being so distant. I sent him a note off the group email to share my feelings. It was received well by our friend, but not by the boyfriend. I received quite the barrage of expletive-filled text messages as a result. My fiancé is washing his hands of both of them. He feels our friend should have reigned in the boyfriend from the beginning, as we've been warm to previous suitors without incident. He is also very offended that our friend has not forced his boyfriend to apologize for his disproportionate texts to my email. What is your advice on how to productively move forward? Do we ice out our friend until there is an apology or, at the least, improved behavior? Do we wait it out for the eventual breakup? Should we swallow our pride and apologize? Sincerely frustrated with our friend. I hope all is well. It's been about five months since I wrote into the show, and I wanted to thank you both for graciously answering my etiquette quandary. You may recall my case of my friend, the serial dater, and the rude boyfriend itching to start a real housewife-level event. <laughs> I played your response to my fiancé, and a striking thing happened. We both swapped our positions. Dan's abrupt response to move on resonated so strongly with me, while my fiancé's initial cold stance warmed to Lizzie's advice to try to salvage the relationship one-on-one. -on -one. Since then, I've kept my distance from the couple, and no love was lost. I would warmly acknowledge them at parties, but would then excuse myself to speak to other attendees. I recently threw a party for my fiancé's birthday and extended an invitation, thinking enough time had passed that we could all start fresh. The rude boyfriend came to the event with knives out for both of us, disparaging everything from the venue to what we wore. What came next would not be approved of by the Emily Post Institute, but involved a long overdue dressing down of the boyfriend that earned a round of applause from the guests as the couple exited the party. Oh my goodness. I'm not proud of having to stoop to a level of reading one to filth, as the young say, but sometimes you have to speak someone's language in order to break through. The couple has since broken up, not because of the conflict at the party or the four other friendships challenged by the rude boyfriend, but because he didn't quit smoking as promised. <laughs> Jury is still out on whether any of us will play a role in the welcoming committee for new suitors in the life of the serial dating friend. Thanks again for lending your ear and counsel. I love it. And sure, you're right. We would never recommend that you stoop to that level, but sometimes etiquette <laughs> goes out the window and... All, you know, heck breaks loose. Well, that's what reality TV is made of. Well, and, thank you, and thank you for painting a vivid picture for us. I really the, loved the it. The scene at the party with someone being dressed down and then storming out of the room in a huff while with everyone applauds. Like, oh, gosh. I mean, I, f I feel bad for that guy. But at the same time, you know, you make your bed. I also love the fact that you talked about what happened after we gave the response and that you kind of each warmed to the other opinion and, and kind of settled somewhere in the middle. 
middle. And um, and I do I applaud you for being courageous enough to invite them to a party despite all of the difficult things that had happened. And yeah, when someone is that rude, you know, at some point you do have to tell them. I mean, it's happened at family events I've been to before where when someone is just maybe they're having a really bad day so and they're being rude, it's time to just say, hey, that's enough. This is supposed to be a happy event. Stop or you can leave. And that's it. And there are some times when it gets to that. So I I applaud you. I'm so glad the advice worked. And um, we hope that you'll write in with a question in the future. So this next uh, response comes in regards to episode 34 with the accidental date, and it challenges the advice that Dan and I gave. And, you know, I still don't think the advice we gave was bad advice because I think being honest about your situation is always a good way to go. But I think that our writer had so many fabulous points as to why what she suggests is a better way to go about it that I'm very excited to read and share this with all of you. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, thank you for putting etiquette questions and answers out there in podcast format. I listen to every episode and enjoy the pragmatic and modern yet respectful behavior you propagate. I'm writing in to comment on podcast episode 34, The Accidental Date, and the title question. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question for you regarding an accidental date. I recently bumped into an acquaintance of mine for the second time in as many months. I know him from several years back when we went on a few dates before I told him that I wasn't interested. We hung out a few times as friends until that fizzled. After running into each other a second time, he suggested we get a beer sometime. I was certain that I had mentioned my boyfriend at some point in our conversation the first time we had run into one another, so I felt secure in thinking he wasn't asking me on a date. When he suggested a fairly date-like place, I started getting nervous. Was this a date? Did he think it was a date? I thought it had seemed so casual up to that point, including how we communicated over scheduling, that it was clearly not anything more than a few would-be friends getting together. The moment we met up for the non-date date, it seemed pretty clear that he had dressed up for the occasion, so I do believe he thought it was a date. I was quick to pay for my own drink, and I managed to seamlessly work (laughs) the fact that I had a boyfriend into the conversation early on in the night. I could sense him reacting to that news, but he played it cool. We had a few drinks and parted ways. It was perfectly nice and friendly, which is what I had originally expected anyway. Still, I feel unsettled about it. On the one hand, I resent the idea that he would have even had the expectation that it was a date. Just because he bumps into me a few times and we exchange friendly conversation, he assumes that I'm single. (laughs) (laughs) Or that if I agree to meet that I am single. I have no problem with him wanting to hang out, but it just seemed like a pretty sneaky way to score a date, disguising it as... We should catch up sometime. Mm. On the other hand, I feel like perhaps I was being naive and I should have been more guarded. But that feels both cynical and presumptuous. Mm -hmm. In the above scenario, how could I have agreed to a drink without giving him the wrong idea? Or would there have been a way to decline the drink? At no point would it have seemed appropriate to say something like, just so you know, I have a boyfriend. But do I have a responsibility to convey that information in some ideally more subtle way as soon as possible? Or does he have a responsibility to assume that I am not on the market unless I were to give him a more clear signal? It feels unfair that just being friendly and positive gives some people the wrong idea. But obviously that does happen, especially to my more outgoing friends. I don't want to be naive, but I also don't want to be rude. Your insights would be greatly appreciated. Kind regards, friendly, but not available. Sadly, the strategy you suggest for anyone who suspects that an invitation might be for a date is one heard often. It is disappointing to hear you encourage people to use being partnered as an excuse. 
a person's relationship status is not and should never be used as an indicator of availability and willingness to date. I wish you could find another way to politely prevent an unwanted date. Please consider a person who cannot talk about relationship preferences without disclosing private information, like a partner's gender or the desire to not have any intimate partnerships at all. Please consider the ambiguous and dishonest nature of such a response, making the dating a question of timing rather than agreement. Please consider the agency of a person, especially female, to decide if they want to date someone or anyone at all without the notion of being taken. Consider a response based on the actual desire to go out with someone, not based on some third person's claim to their fidelity. I often refer to your judgment. In this case, a new standing of dealing with a common situation is sorely needed, and I sincerely hope you might be able to find a different take on it. We need to be able to tell someone, thank you for the offer, I'm not interested, or signal it in advance of an explicit offer. That complies to etiquette standards, yet takes consent into account. I'm always looking forward to the next episode. Sincerely, Sabine from Germany. I mean, isn't that just so well written? Sabine, I I remember when your response came in and it gave me pause and it definitely made me think about the answer that we gave that day. And I I thought you made a really nice addition to that particular answer. If you are involved with someone, I don't think there's anything inappropriate about uh, acknowledging that and putting that out there, particularly early on, if you sense someone else's interest to let them know that it's not necessarily going to be welcome, but that's not your only option. And in fact, it's not the default option. Right. While it's acceptable, ultimately, the standard is whether or not you're interested. And I've always admired my cousin Lizzie's ability to communicate this clearly to people. Um, oh, my goodness. You really think I do? I think I cowered out a lot of the time. I think I, think I use other excuses. I think you're one of the better people at really telling people, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I'm not interested. And I've, I've, I've heard you I've heard you do really? it. And I've heard you talk about doing it. And I've always said to myself that, that I, I learned something from watching your direct approach. Oh, wow. Because I think it keeps you out of more trouble. It doesn't lead people on and it doesn't. It doesn't create the situation that that our writer here, that Sabine, is talking about. I'm flattered that you think that. I feel like I fall into the category often of I do get worried about putting people down. I get worried about rejecting other people. And um, I I will say I think I I a little bit, and I'm going to call myself out on it, I think I cowered out a little bit and say, you know, now's not a good time or – you know, right now I'm just not interested in dating, but that's not always true. Some, you know, I would really mm-hmm. like someone to date, and but I, um, there have been a, a few times where someone has asked very directly, and I've been able to say, you know, there is a connection here, but I'm not ready. I'm not interested. This isn't what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the reasons we often give the advice that we give about being honest about the fact that you're in a relationship is it does put it into perspective for the other person, but. I love what Sabine says, which is, but she's like, you know, it may put it into perspective, but that's not the only part of it. Mm -hmm. You're almost giving them the hope, I feel like, that, well, if this relationship's end, then I'd be ready. And that's not honest. And we do really talk a lot about honesty. So I I really loved that her answer encompassed so many different reasons for why someone might not be interested in dating and to just simply be honest about them. Always a great policy, Sabine. Thank you so much for that, Sabine. We appreciate it. Our next reply comes in response to the question about the vegan couple who regularly back out of brunch plans last minute. 
I kind of love this reply. <laughs> Regarding the vegans who regularly don't show up for brunch after they've said yes, stop inviting them. Exclamation wait, wait, wait. I was going to say, you need to read that with the exclamation point. <laughs> the issue isn't their dietary request. It's that they RSVP yes and don't show. Again, exclamation point. <laughs> I've been part of a number of support clubs, poker groups, and other social groups over the years, and the cardinal rule is, if you say you'll be there, be there. Again, exclamation point. Sure, the occasional miss with a call to the host is understandable, but repeated no-shows get you removed from my guest list. No chat required. Stan. I like his authoritativeness on that. I'm pretty sure we we did say it's okay to remove them, that the reason isn't because they're vegans, but... If you want to save them, you could talk to them about why they've been removed. The, the old broccoli on the tooth thought, but I just loved how yeah. emphatic he was about. I read this and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> let's stop inviting them." It just he got me fired up with this one. I loved it, Stan. Thank you so much for writing in. And we're gonna end on a sweet note from Austin, Texas. Hello, Lizzie and Daniel. I wanted to let you know how much I have been enjoying your podcast. I started listening in December, and it has quickly become a favorite. Subsequently, my dog is also enjoying the podcast as I listen while I am walking him. We keep going until the end of the episode, so our walks are longer. I don't like to think etiquette is on the decline these days because there are still many, many thoughtful people out there, but it certainly can't hurt to have gentle reminders now and then. The Emily Post Institute is providing a wonderful service and in such a fun way with the podcast. Keep up the great work. Cheers from Austin, Texas, Rachel. Thank you so much, Rachel. We will absolutely do our best. I just love it because it was just so kind and nice, and she believes that there's good good etiquette out there in the world, and I love that. <laughs> well, now, uh, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Well, that's the end of our mailbag for the week. Thank you so much for sending in your replies as well as your comments and your questions. And remember, we do have a new number for the show. You can leave your questions, comments, and replies by calling 802 866 0860. That's 802-866-0860. I love our etiquette salute today because it's short, sweet, and absolutely wonderful. Dan, take it away. I would like to offer an awesome etiquette salute to my teenager. I am a stickler for handwritten thank you notes, and now that he is 16, I merely have to hand over a stack of thank you cards, and he returns a series of charming notes. With no prompting, they offer a thank you for the specific gift, details of his plans for it, and warm, personalized wishes for the giver. He is genuinely a delight. Anne. Isn't that just nice? Thank you, Anne, for that salute. Short and sweet and to the point and just lovely. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. That's our show for today. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. And thank you for thinking about our podcast and writing in with responses and suggestions for us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. 
On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is edited by the wonderful Hans Buto. Thank you.